Okay. Uh, it is June, which means that the NHL offseason is uh, in full swing. I had about a two-hour draft preview and uh, free agency preview with Matthew Zator of the Hockey Riders. Now I'm going to bring in uh, Blues colleagues Stephen and Mike uh, from the HockeyRiders.com fellas. Uh, how are you guys doing? Fantastic. Doing well. All right, all right. Let's uh, let's let's get right into it. Um, and the big news of the day: we're recording this on the night before the draft, so June twenty seventh. And the big news of the day: there were numerous NHL trades, but I think the first thing to discuss would be the Kevin Hayes trade because it was Blues related, obviously. Uh, so the Blues acquire uh, Kevin Hayes from the Flyers for a twenty twenty four sixth round pick. And the Flyers retain 50%. Now, the big thing with this deal is that there was a lot of drama over the weekend into today. I don't know if we should be blaming the Flyers organization for everything that got out. I saw a lot of people kind of blaming both sides. But, I mean, one's a rookie GM and one's been doing this for a long time. I I digress on that point. But uh, we'll start with you, Stephen. Your thoughts on the the Hayes deal. Um, I was definitely – I mean, I'm definitely relieved. I – we can talk if we want to about the bigger trade package or yeah. not, but like I was certainly worried about that whole process because I'm really hesitant about the Blues taking on a lot of cap. And, um, you know, I think their cap situation is already a nightmare enough, which again, I'm sure we'll talk about. But Hayes is a player that I'm sure the Blues want for their locker room, which, you know, just judging by some of the end of season interviews and, and really just the whole season last year, it seems like the dynamic wasn't great in the locker room. And Hayes is obviously one of those kind of spit and chick with massive personality guys that are dotted throughout the league. So I'm sure that's a big part of the appeal with him. Um, we paid almost nothing for him. We got him at half off on the contract. So you can't be mad about that. There is still part of me, I'll be bluntly honest, that I'm not sure Kevin Hayes, even for free, makes a ton of sense for this team with Brad. Um, but I obviously am not going to sit here and be like enraged about a trade where you gave a, a six-round pick and got a, a serviceable middle six guy for $3.5 million. And, and, you know, finally now, I know we've been saying this for years now, but finally I think the cap will start to go up pretty quickly. So that $3.5 million is probably going to seem like – you know, considerably less when he's in the final year of his contract. And, you know, if it gets to the point where you don't want him anymore, you can now retain half and flip him again at 1.8 yeah. and really, yep. you know, probably get something decent for him. So those are my thoughts. Sorry for rambling. <laughs> Mike, your thoughts? I think I'm of the same notion. You know, you get a, a serviceable, serviceable player that can be able to play the middle six. Um, while he's not great – you know, like completely above <laughs> average here for face-offs or anything. He can be able to play second pairing here if he needs to, be able to play very responsibly here on the third pairing, so be able to chip in some goals. Um, we'll, we'll see. I mean, maybe the switch here to St. Louis is just going to kind of switch him around here a little bit. You know, looking here at his stats right now, I mean, minus 22, minus 20, minus 2, minus 6. You know, plus minus here is not everything, but – shoot, you know, <laughs> you know, you gotta be able to call a steer a steer, you know, whatever it is here. Um, we're going to see what we're going to be able to get from a guy here like Kevin Hayes, but I think he's going to be serviceable. And like you said, worst case scenario, you know, he's got a modified no trade clause where he can be able to submit here up to 12 teams that he can, that he can be able to ax here a trade to. And if we need to flip him, we'll flip him here again. So 
he's got this year and uh, two additional years here on his contract. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, and uh, JR tweeted out that he's, quote, pumped. So we got that. Um, to be out of that, Philly. <laughs> definitely, and away from Tortorella. Uh, yeah. One thing that fascinates me, I think, with Hayes is that, like, the defensive part of the game is brutal. I mean, not good. You look at the analytics, and I know – Torts benched him last year, and that was a whole big thing. And I probably wouldn't want to try in that regard either. But that's a tough one. And and how and obviously the faceoff numbers aren't very good either. But right at the end of the day, you toss him on the third line, maybe play a little second line. I still think he's probably behind Shin um, on the second line. We'll see though. I guess how Bruby fills it out, but. Um, that is a bit of a concern, and obviously I think Hayes' change of scenery is certainly something that Armstrong probably talked himself into a little bit, like get him away from Philly, get him away from Tortorella, he'll be better. I have to think that my first thought when the trade officially went down was he has to score at least 20 this year, and then I was like, maybe he won't, though, so I, I don't really know. But I will say this, and let's get real quick into the uh, into the original package, which was really the whole Krug drama, which – we can get into how the, the Blues fans have approached that. Um, obviously, there was thoughts of like Krug in a late first uh, for Sanheim and Hayes. And like the idea that our general manager slash Poho, president of Hockey Ops, uh, the fact that he sat there and was like, hey, let's, let's take on another eight-year contract for a defenseman is just mind-boggling to me. I don't mm. understand that at all, especially for a guy who Falk – Gave him eight years. That was a, probably a mistake. I mean, Falk had one good year. Other than that, it's been tough. And obviously, he came in as an offensive defenseman. So, you know, and then he goes and gives Krug the eight year or the seven year deal and then gives Pareko an eight year deal. It just, it, it feels a little bit irresponsible. I know that we're still should trust this guy. I guess I do, but I think the rest of the offseason playing out, we'll see how it goes. But uh, let's start with you on this one, Mike. Uh, just thoughts on the original package with the Sanheim involvement and Krug. Army's got a soft spot for for defensemen. That's just that's just it. Bottom line, um, you and I were talking a little bit here about this before we started recording. But to me, I don't mind it because you do move out a player here like Krug. Um, because at this point, Krug and Prunovich are redundant. They're basically the same player, and so having both of them here in your lineup, it doesn't really make a lot of sense. Which is where I still think that he's going to be moved out. But the biggest kicker here is that you're still bringing in then another defenseman to play alongside Pareko, which is great. But you still have, what did we count, eight defensemen that can be able to play six different spots? Somebody else here is going to have to end up going here. And I thought one of the big deals of moving out a guy here like Karub was able to free up a spot here for Perunovic, start to unclog the logjam that they have here at this point. And so bringing in Sandheim, yes, gets a different look here on the blue line, but still does not really truly solve your logjam. So I, I I don't know. I mean, I, I would have been okay, I think, with it. But you uh, depending on like what other subsequent moves would have been made to help alleviate that logjam. Yeah. Uh, Steven, your thoughts? Um, yeah, I mean, I think I'm, I'm with you, uh, Ethan, on terms of I, that just seemed like a mind-bogglingly borderline suicidal trade. And I don't 
I don't feel strongly one way or the other about Sanheim. I think he's probably a fine defenseman. I think he's probably better than any of the defensemen we have, although yeah. that's, you know, damning him with really faint <laughs> praise at this point. But, like, taking on another – I mean, the last two defensemen we've added – well, I guess Letty doesn't count. But, like, before that, we added Krug and we added Falk, both on really long-term contracts before they'd ever played a game with this organization. And neither of those contracts have worked out. Falk better than Krug, but, you know, and I think I'm sure we'll talk about Krug here as well. But, like, I, again, you know, Twitter is not a, a place to formulate hockey opinions, but there was a lot of, like, oh, Santa, I'm so good. He's just been on a bad time team. He's elite. You don't understand. He's elite. He's really, really good. And I'm like, if he's elite, why are the Flyers giving him away for a late first-round pick yeah. and taking a salary dump back in the process? You know, like, I, I just don't understand how that computes to people. And I always hate that argument, not to get too sidetracked, but the whole, oh, he's just on a bad team argument. It's like, you know when a good player is on a bad team, like when a really good player is on the bad team. Like Dylan Larkin has been on a bad team for a long time. You know he's a stud. You know, you know, Elias Pettersson's a stud. You can go down the list. Like, I'm not saying you have to be on that level to get recognized as a decent player to help the Blues, but like the argument that, oh, well, yeah, all his stats are be- are unimpressive, but he's just on a bad team never really sits well with me because you know, you know, so... I think we dodged a bullet adding that contract, getting Krug's contract out, but adding an equal, equally expensive and longer one, even if it's for a better player, does not make sense to me. So I, I do think, um, I do think that was a bullet dodge. But you know, then again, adding Hayes's contract to me still feels like a weird commitment to make at this point. But we'll see what else they do this off season, especially after. Army came out and talked about like the age range of players that he wanted. And it was like, okay, who's going to be in that window. And that's what worries me about like the idea. And I I think Steven wrote about this, uh, the Hannafin thing, which is like, if you're going to bring him in for one year and see how it goes and, and you're able to move out a couple of contracts or at least a contract, maybe not in that deal, but in another deal, and you're going to try to put Hannafin and Pareko together, and we'll, we'll get to this later a little bit more. But, like, I understand that. But the idea of bringing in a guy on a contract or extending him or a guy who already has a big contract before he ever plays, like, that's what worries me about Hannafin. If they trade for Hannafin, you can't give him an extension. You would think that Army's learned his lesson on that one, even though I'm not convinced after these rumors, which is, which is weird. I don't, I don't get it. And blues Twitter has been a disaster in the last week. I I tweeted on the day of the drama that I thought Krug was potentially saving them from making a bad deal. Oh yeah. I said the same thing. And, and Sanheim I think is a fine player. I think he'd be fine here. It's just the eight year deal makes no sense. And uh, good luck in Toronto. (laughs) <laughs> I've, I've beat this drum a couple times and i'm sorry if you guys have read me tweet this statistic before but i just think it's so mind-blowing the blues have the currently not last year currently have the third highest salary cap commitment to their defense the teams ahead of them are the president's trophy winning boston bruins and the stanley cup winning vegas golden knights we have one of the worst defenses in the league I think this fan base is completely unrealistic about just how terrible this defense is and how big a mess it is. And to me, I'm just for total reconstructive surgery. I'm for getting as much salary cap out before you add anything in. And if that means starting a bunch of, 
Nico Mikola's and Scott Perunovich's and and you know Tyler Tucker's next year. I know Mikola's gone, but just as a name to kind of that level of guy, like I would much rather do that and have a bad defense that way because we're going to have a bad defense either way. But if we can't get some of these contracts out, it's going to be bad for a decade, and you know that's the nightmare scenario to me. Uh, Mikola is a free agent, so well, so yeah, there we go. Bring him Could right happen. back. Could happen. Uh, I give that a two percent chance, and the only reason I give it two percent is because I'm starting to get confused on what Armstrong is doing. And I also just want to sidetrack this. I find it hilarious, and we'll get to the draft here in a minute. But I find it interesting that I heard. Saravalli report about how the Flyers are going back to square one with Hayes and new suitors. And then it was like an hour later <laughs> that he goes to the blues. I'm yeah. really starting to, I know that we've at least, you know, somewhat been like, okay, Saravalli, are we sure about, about him? I, uh-huh. I, I'm not convinced, but that's just, uh, that's neither here nor there with the Hayes thing, because I believe Saravalli is a Philadelphia guy. So you would think that he would be in the know. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's why you, you just can't. You just got to be like uh, Friedman and just kind of be in the weeds and be careful with what you say. But that's something that Sarah Valley doesn't do. Anyway, I don't know why I had to go after him. But uh, let's get to the draft. Uh, we'll get more into the roster later. Um, the draft is tomorrow night. Obviously, unfortunately, the number one pick is going to Chicago. Bedard, the whole the whole thing there. Uh, I do find the second pick fascinating because there's been a little bit of buzz about maybe it's not Fantilli, but I think if you're Pat Verbeek and the Ducks, you have to be absolutely insane and not take Fantilli number two. Uh, plenty of really good forwards in this class, especially at the top. That's what why I wrote about why they should avoid a defenseman with the 10th pick. I'm pretty settled on a couple players where, that I think could be taken uh, for, for the Blues at 10. I think there's going to be – I think the board is going to fall in a very weird way. I mean, last year we had four defensemen taken in the top ten. Mm-hmm. I actually might have been five. It was four or five, but it's not happening this year. So uh, let's start with uh, Mike here. Uh, prediction on who you believe that they will take with the tenth pick. Well, like you said, they can be able to go a couple of different ways, and it just depends where the board falls because this is a very deep forward class, very deep. And – when is the next time realistically that the blues are going to draft here as high as 10th overall? Next so <laughs> <laughs> please God tell me that they're not going to draft 10th overall. <laughs> so boy, you're right. I don't, I don't know what to think about that. Oh my God. You're correct. <laughs> oh man. Um, I would love to see them draft one of these forwards. I really would because I don't like the value choice of getting one of these defensemen that projects as a number two, three player at 10th overall just doesn't make sense to me. I like the defensemen. I just don't like them at 10. Maybe Reinbacher. Even even Willander, I don't mind him. 6'1", 180, good, excellent mobility, good skating. Good soft hands. You know, he understands the game here really, really well, but I think he projects as like a number three defenseman. He's not going to be your Alex Petrangelo. He's not going to be your Shea Theodore. He's not going to be, you know, your guy that can be able to hold it down. So I think Dvorsky is a is a good pick that you could be able to see Matthew Wood or Zach Benson. Those are all guys who I think could realistically go and fit this squad who can be able to play even just second line here for like their entire career 
pop in 65 plus points here every single year, be good, smart offensively and defensively, play on the power play and on the penalty kill. I think that's the guy that's, that you need to be able to target here rather than a number, another number two or three defenseman. Steven? Uh, I love the dollar bill Dvorsky pick. I refuse to call him anything but dollar bill Dvorsky. <laughs> uh, that is, I want him just for namesake alone. Um, I really like genuinely think if he fell to us, he's the player I'd like most. All the other names you will, you said, I uh, also think are solid. I'm not going to pretend to be a draft expert. I will say two things though. One thing is like, I agree that we probably shouldn't draft a defenseman, um, at this point, because I think there's just the value proposition with forwards is too much. However, I do think our draft strategy over the last five years has shown the flaw a little bit in the whole best player available approach, yeah. because some of our woes might be a lot better off if we had a couple of like top four, top six defensemen options in the pipeline, which we certainly don't. Uh, but my spicy take is, and this is obviously the you know wild card of the entire draft, at this point, I do think if Mitchkoff slides down past pick five or six or so, I think the Blues will be pretty aggressive in trying to trade up and get him. I think they have three picks in the first round. Uh, we've seen Doug Armstrong trade up to get the sliding Russian uh, sniper before, and that's worked out pretty well. Um, I think Doug knows that, you know, to, to Mike's point, I don't think he plans to be picking this high again in the foreseeable future. Now, again, with the moves he's made, I'm not as confident as Doug is so far that that will be the case, but we'll see. Um, I could just see them trying to make a run at it and really like they're in a position where they know they've got the core guys locked down for a few years. And they're, if they're honest, they probably know they're not cup contenders this year or next year, you know, so they, they really can probably afford to wait for Mitch Koff, Whereas, a team in the top five who's really, truly terrible, probably needs something exciting right now. I just think, I think there are pieces in place that make that an option. I'm not saying it's going to happen. Obviously the odds are heavily against it happening. Um, but I think if he gets, you know, if the, if the coyotes pick at six, then don't take him. And he's still on the board of uh, the flyers who they've been talking to a lot right now are up next. I do think that conversation is definitely happening on Doug Armstrong's cell phone. Yeah, I find it interesting that there has been plenty of conversation about like, okay, maybe the Sharks could move back from four. I doubt that happens. I think the Sharks stay at four. There's been word about the Canadians maybe moving out of five. Uh, and in a class like this, I wonder what the, the price is going to be. And I, I I also wonder, will the Blues still have 25 and 29 when the draft starts? I mean, I, yeah, it's also I think there's a possibility that one of those is gone depending on how Doug's trying to do this, but uh, yeah, I think, I think Mitch Cobb will be somebody that they would, I I feel like that's been kind of talked about a lot within fan circles. And I mentioned it in an article as well about how maybe like Arizona at six Mm -hmm. and Arizona doesn't pick, but there has been a lot of, a lot of smoke about uh, Dvorsky to Arizona. So who knows, but uh, the two players that I've kind of settled on here that I think are safe Solid picks. The first one would be Oliver Moore, who's a center. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a quote here from Stephen Ellis of the Daily Faceoff saying that he's the fastest, might be the fastest skater in the draft and has potential to become a real game changer. Second mm-hmm. line center for the U.S. National Development Program behind Will Smith, who's the first line center. 
Um, and he's and Will Smith a, is the only reason why he's playing yeah, the second line. Yeah, Will Smith will probably be the fourth pick to San Jose, if I had to guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the other one I have here is a guy that I've heard some word on on Twitter about could be pretty close to being NHL ready, and that's Ryan Leonard, uh, who can play either wing or center. Um, I have a quote here from Russ Cohen of EPRinkside.com. Uh, says he has a way of making his own space on the ice. Sometimes he does that with his speed, but a lot of times he does that by going through high traffic areas, coming away with the puck. Five foot eleven, one eighty, strong center, great physical condition. I don't really know why we need to include that in a quote. I mean, who isn't if you're playing in the NHL? But whatever. Uh, so I think Leonard or Moore would both be very safe, solid picks. Both guys that could go in the top ten. Both guys that could be there at uh, at number ten. And it certainly seems like the Canucks are going to go defenseman after them because the Canucks just love to do like really weird things on draft day. They've done some really weird things over the last eight or nine years. Not that taking a defenseman at 11 is weird. Not, as not just on draft day, let's be clear. That is very true. Mm-hmm. Like making the weirdest move ever by trading for Philip Ronick, who's a good player, but like why would you trade one of your first for that when you're – the Canucks have more of a blind spot for where they are direction-wise than the Blues by a mile. Like, the Canucks have no clue what they are. Mm-hmm. Like, just none. Like, why would you get a first for Horvat and then trade it and then – it's just disaster. I'm glad I'm not a Canucks fan. No offense. I know some Canucks fans, nice people. Um, so 25 and 29, and I'll start with Steven here. I have to think they trade one of these picks, right? Oh, 100%. I yeah. can't imagine them picking all three. I th- I mean, here's the thing. I think – Blues fans will be furious if we try if we don't do anything with those other two. I will not. I think our yeah. cupboard is so dry right now. This is a good draft. Um, we don't have a second round pick, at, I believe, right? So, yep. um, I don't want Doug. Like, I don't want him to go out and trade it just to make a trade and get a a piece that's fine, but not you know franchise altering and not in that age group that he's talked about and all that sort of stuff. Like I don't want him to trade it for Travis Sanheim, but I do think he'll make a move, whether that's like we just talked about potentially to move up or, you know, get that kind of shin or, or, you know, we've seen him do it a lot of times. Um, Or, you know, I could see him trading back and doing something that way. Maybe, you know, a cap dump, maybe where you move into the second round and get rid of uh, Letty or Scandella or whatever, you know, make a move like that. I think there are options, but I, I cannot, I would be pretty shocked if he picks at 10, 25 and what is it? 29 that we have. I mm-hmm. think that would be surprising to say the least. Mike. Yeah. I fully agree. I do not expect him to be picking 25 and 29 more than likely. One of them is going to be attached to move another player. So it's going to be really interesting to see what happens here with them. But again, it's going to take two to tango here at this point. So they still have options at 25 and 29. There's still several interesting players. Like I'm looking here at uh, Danil Boot, six foot five, 203 pounds, big power forward. Love this guy. Love this Russian um, factor that he can be able to bring in here. Um, the only thing that I do not want to hear from him is, uh, you know, we get excited for another big body forward and turns out he's going to be the next um, Patrick Berglund. <laughs> so I don't think that's going to end up happening, but um, Boot is probably like my safe pick that I think you could be able to see here, like at 25, um, that the Blues could be able to target should he be available. 
And I will say if they do pick weight in the draft, if they take one of either of those picks, I think that's the point where you probably have to at least take one defenseman. Like if you made both yeah. of those yeah. picks, especially you have to get a defenseman in this, in this prospect yes. pool. Yes. And I, I think agree. the one that makes the most sense in that spot if he's there is, uh, is bonk. Of course. I mean, mm-hmm. Yep, just, absolutely. Just on name value alone. That Can you imagine if we part, get yeah. Dollar Bill, Dvorsky, and Bonk in one draft? Oh. Well, my other one That's here how I evaluate all picks. Is <laughs> you could be able to get Bonk, Simashev, and like there's there's several different players that are here like within this first line. Be able to have just some I mean boot is great A U T. So yes. Yeah. Yes. Great A last names. You got to get more and bonk and have the all Oliver draft, you know? Yeah. I mean, that would be phenomenal. I, I <laughs> hope that, I hope that Doug takes that into account. Yeah. Um, I think he should. I think that's how he should do his whole draft table. Yeah. He probably will. Uh, I <laughs> would say, you know, <laughs> I, there's been a lot of movement in the NHL today with the, uh, Toffoli deal and, uh, Toffoli the, robbery. Yeah. Well, also the Dubois deal, which is like wow, that is a, wow. that is a hefty price to pay. I mean, I think Villardi is, is better than Dubois, but that's neither here nor there. Yeah, like Dubois ain't that good. That's all yeah. I can say. About yeah. it. That's that's, that's that L A wild. L A L A trying too hard. I think there yeah. with that one, uh, but you know, I, I they keep Byfield. That's good, I guess. But whatever. Um, so I think there will be plenty of movement tomorrow in the league. Mm-hmm. I I don't think there's going to be. Any trades in the top ten? I don't. I, I wouldn't bet on that. Uh, but I could maybe. I just don't see why some of these rebuilding teams would want to move out of the top ten. Uh, like Philly should stay at seven unless the Blues came and offered them an insane uh, deal, which I don't really know how the Blues could do that. But um, yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't know who the biggest player traded tomorrow will be. I, I think I would probably bet on like it being Sanheim. I think he, he probably moves maybe to Toronto, like I said earlier. So uh, I do think the Blues will make at least one trade, uh, whether it's for a player or to move around, like we said. So that'll be interesting to, to see in the draft. Uh, and the Blues obviously have two picks in the third round, as well as picks in the fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh. So if they make all their picks, that's nine without a second. So – Mm-hmm. certainly be able to add some prospects into the system here and see how it goes. But uh, let's shift over here to the forward group right now uh, where your center depth is really Robert Thomas, Braden Shin, Kevin Hayes, Nikita Alexandrov, Nathan Walker. Uh, and then your wingers, you have Pavel Buchnevich, you have Verana. I don't know how he wants his first name pronounced, so I won't go there. Uh, Jakob. Yeah, there you go. Jakob. I didn't want to mess it up. Um, <laughs> Jake Neighbors will be in the mix for sure. Brandon Saad, uh, Jordan Kyrie, which I cannot believe that there are still three years left in the Saad deal, but whatever. Uh, Kasperi Kapanen and Alexei Torpchenko, and I forgot to write Sammy Blay. That's on me. Blay figures to be a pretty significant. Blay can play the way that he did at the World Championships and the end of last season. I mean, geez. I don't really know what, what you – you can't really just put him on the fourth line the whole season. but uh, Just pair him with neighbors. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I am very interested to see how Baruby handles this lineup because I would think the forward group is pretty much set. I, I think we can kind of kill mm-hmm. the Ryan O'Reilly thing now. Um, 
and I really don't think there was much to that to begin with. Like maybe there was a chance, but it's like, what does O'Reilly really do for this team right now? Other than the nostalgia thing from how good he was four years ago. Like he was, he was not good last year. And I don't What's know wrong with the nostalgia thing. Ethan? Why it, is it is, wrong? it is, you know, it's cool, but it's like, if you give O'Reilly like four years, I mean, that's tough. That's tough. Well, and you're not going to get him at a cheaper price than what you're going to get Kevin Hayes. They did give Ke- they do have Kevin Hayes has three years left, which is kind of a problem. But still, yeah. uh, the O'Reilly thing is dead. I hate to say it. I don't know where I want him to go. I'm hoping that him and Barbashev don't end up in Chicago. I have a bad feeling about Barbashev in Chicago. Really hope it's not true. That would stink. But Chicago has to get to the cap uh, floor because they gave Nick mm-hmm. Felino four million dollars, which is just absurd. they're going to pay. Whoever gets Barbashev is going to pay way too much for him. I love yes. him, but they're going to. It's going to be a seven seven year deal, and it's going to be like six. Yeah, it's going to be Which way too much insanity. And the problem is, is both of those guys actually fit what Chicago's looking for. That's the biggest problem from a Blues fan's perspective. They both just fit what Chicago needs. I mean, if Chicago no. was uh, if Chicago was smart, they'd just throw Felino on the on the wing with Bedard, and they'd put up numbers. Felino, Hall, and Bedard—that would be sick. Felino, I mean, are you kidding me? Guys, four million dollars—that's at least like second line guy. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I think the NHL fans' perspective or the world, like we're fans too. But I'm saying like the people that the Twitter Twitter types. Uh, I don't want to, you know, whatever. Uh, their eyes are really open to what this trade market is when they see the Hayes and Hall deals and the cap space situation and uh, how you're really not going to like. The, are the, could the Blues attach a first and Krug to get him out of there? I mean, wouldn't love that, but. I don't think it's the most impossible thing in the world. I think it depends on like where, what, what realistically, what team could truly be interested in Krug Boston. at that number? Like at that number though, it just, and Boston has a lot of left-handed defensemen too. Yeah, but they could be interested. The Islanders, is Lamarillo think Krug is good? I mean, that's possible, right? He probably is not a big analytic guy. Yeah, I mean, I think, Krug's going to be interesting because, like, it's going to be. I guess you know he's a professional; he'll return and play fine. But like, that's going to be a weird vibe for the yeah. fans, and the fans mm-hmm. are already. By the way, I just want to say as an aside, like, stop blaming Tory Krug for using the contract tool that Doug Armstrong gave him. Yep, that he has every right, right. to use. Stop treating oh, yeah. him like he's betrayed the franchise or something. That's just so moronic; it hurts. Um, but. You know, like I, I personally am not a Tory Krug hater to the extent like a lot of the fan base think he's been terrible here. I think he's been exactly what you should have known Tory Krug was going to be. Yep. Um, maybe not quite as offensively dynamic as you'd hope, but obviously a defenseman by himself can't be, you know, completely offensively dynamic if he doesn't mm-hmm. have the players. He's not with David Pasternak and Patrice Bergeron and Brad Marchand anymore, for example. Um, but yeah, I mean, I if they... I will say if they don't get rid of one of those defensive contracts, one of those top four this summer, I'm going to view the summer as, as a, at most like a D plus, like I would borderline consider it a failure. Cause you just can't, you can't have those contracts for the duration and you've got to get rid of them one at a time. You know? <laughs> and, well, man. 
when when I was looking earlier at the cap friendly and I wrote all this down, but like the Letty thing is just so insane to me. Why Armstrong would think that's a good idea, and we all knew it at the time. Like it, it doesn't matter what you think your it doesn't matter what you think your defense is. You don't give Nick Letty, who is not good, a four year deal four million dollars. So bad. I it, don't. It really it really makes me question the judgment, and I know. I'm going to say that Armstrong has somebody in his ear who is making him do this. I'm going to go with that for right now. But like what, like that is just insane. Yeah. The contrast and yeah. moves that he's made over the last two years. It's like when it comes to the four group, he's done a pretty good job. I mean, Kapanen and Verona, I know Kapanen was a waivers claim, but Verona he got for nothing and that was good. And the Buchnevich trade was great. Saad, that's questionable. Hayes, not questionable. But like the moves, every single thing he's done on the blue line has been wrong. Oh, it's been terrible. I mean, since since trading trading and signing for Falk, I mean, the trade for Falk was fine, you know, in terms of what they gave up. Uh, Oliver, oh, not Oliver, what was his name? Uh, Dominic Falk. <laughs> He's stuck uh, on the Oliver's out there. <laughs> Dominic Falk uh, never materialized into an NHL player, you know, and, and Edmondson I know people miss. And, I mean, I'd, I'd be happy to have Joel Edmondson right now on this defensive core, but not a player you can't live without. But, like, Every move since then, I won't rehash my opinions on letting Petrangelo slip away, but we all know what he's doing with his summer. So, you know, like just the defense is just such a disaster. And I think mm-hmm. people do not, as I said earlier, just don't even realize how bad it is and aren't realistic with themselves. And I'll just say this. Uh, the defense is so bad that we're not even talking about the fact that our goaltending is also awful. Yep. Yep. which I don't know if you guys want to go on that tangent, but uh, using the defense to justify how bad Jordan Bennington <laughs> has been for two years in a row is yeah. just kind of whistling past the graveyard as far as I'm concerned. One problem at a time. Yeah. One problem well, at a time. You could definitely make that argument, but they're both problems, you know? <laughs> so <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Um, are you sure that – I mean, are we sure that uh, Briere wasn't interested in a little Bennington for Carter Hart action? I mean, hey, Bennington hey. won a Stanley Cup, guys. He won a Stanley Cup. Right. Carter Hart, what he what has he done? Yeah, no. exactly. Overhyped. Um, Mike, your thoughts here on the idea of, like, what to do with this blue line this summer? Like, what – like, okay, here's the big question, I think. How much can Mike Weber do? Because he's the new coach to run the D – how much can he really do? Because I really don't think there's much that he can do. And I'm not saying that Mike Van Ryan wasn't somewhat of a problem maybe over the last couple of years. It just seemed like maybe they got a little stale in how they were doing things. So I think mm-hmm. making a change there is good, especially getting younger there. Uh, but I don't really think there's much that Mike Weber can do to fix this. I don't know. And I'm going to say this just for the play devil's advocate here. Now, when you had Montgomery here in the system, there wasn't much of a change over here in actual player personnel here, correct? Yeah, they just added Letty in the middle of that okay. season. So to that extent then, you lose Montgomery, and then at that point in time, all the players just are suddenly bad. I don't understand how you lose a coach then now all the players are bad when – I'm not saying that they were great when Montgomery was here, but they were certainly serviceable. They were average to to somewhat, you know, just above or just below average. Not 
completely down in the basement. I think, and I'm hoping that he can be able to turn some stuff around. You know, he's been there, done that. But the biggest problem here is getting the veterans to completely buy in. Because he's not that far removed here from his playing days. He's not that far off age-wise here from a Robert Bortuzzo, a Marco Scandella here, or anybody. So, like, they're all in around the same age group. And so, for me, you know, the prospects, they're going to be listening to this guy. He's, again, been there, done that. But he hasn't been playing enough games to be like, oh, okay, this is a guy who's played over a 1,000 games, and he he's won a cup, and he's done this, he's done that. It's like, no, no offense to Mike Weber, but, like, it's – just Mike Weber. So I don't know. I'm hoping he kind of pulls a Steve Ott and he is just a glue maker and he sees things here on and off the ice that he can be able to pull some things together and be able to work his magic here on this very expensive squad. But I I don't think he's going to be a huge magic maker to all of these guys. I think he's going to be able to pull them out of the basement and at least make them average. One can Steven. only hope. They have to be able to go up. <laughs> Toss it over to you, Stephen. Um, I'm a big believer in uh, firing coaches. <laughs> I hate to say it that bluntly, <laughs> but like I've always said, like you can't change a whole roster overnight. You can change a coach overnight. And I would think the Blues of all teams would be very aware of how big a difference that that can make if you do it at the right time. Um, so I definitely am down with trying Mike Weber. I don't. I'm not going to pretend to know a ton about Mike Weber. And, whether I know that he'll do a good job or do a bad job, but he certainly can't do a worse job than Van Ryan did last year. And again, you know, it's hard to know how much of that to blame on him or the players or whatever else. But um, I am not very optimistic that this defense is suddenly going to be good or cup contending or even maybe even playoff contending. I, I, I think it's pretty clear by now that my views on the defense are uh, very negative, but um, I mean, I certainly think that those players had the potential to be better than they were last year. Um, mm-hmm. and maybe if they're better than they were, then that enables you to trade a couple of them, you know, down the line a little bit. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I think he'll be good. And I think the team will likely be better next year. Um, but I'm, and you know, we can talk about this if we want to, but like I, I'm not confident they'll be as much better as some people seem to think that they will. So, Hey, any progress is still progress. True. Unless, I mean, to, <laughs> to me, my problem is it's progress unless you're actually getting closer to a rebuild too, you know, which is like, are mm-hmm. you progress? Are you progressing in a way that makes you better in three years when I think you really need to be good versus, you know, being better ish next year but still being on a long-term downward trajectory that's my big concern right now yeah one thing one thing about the team that made the playoffs in 2022 was that the d really wasn't that it was it was definitely better but it wasn't mm-hmm. that much better yeah. like Vili right. Husto was incredible mm-hmm. and Bennington looked good in the playoffs before going down and Justin Falk had a better season and I don't really know if I can – I mean, Pareko is Pareko at this point. Um, and Letty, like, looked serviceable kind of. Mm-hmm. If you're Armstrong, you had to have seen something to give him the contract, which whatever. But, um, yeah, I think that there's going to have to be some serious personnel changes at some point down the road on the blue line. I really don't I, – I wonder if next summer there's more flexibility – 
if the cap goes up, I mean, I just can't wait for Armstrong to give Verona like a six-year deal or something, but <laughs> hopefully that doesn't happen. Um, but I, I definitely don't think Armstrong's doing the best. Uh, he's done some pretty, uh, you know, to, to put it on, as honestly as I can, he's done a pretty horrific job managing the cap over the last few years. Uh, pretty disastrous. And really no care in the world for how much term he's giving guys because you look at Okay, Thomas and Kyrie give him eight years. That's fine. Those guys are franchise centerpieces, right? And I, I love how quickly fans want to trade Kyrie. That's hilarious to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I like Clayton Keller too, but like, come on, we don't have to make a move just just to make a move and whatever. Uh, Shin gets an eight-year deal. Hayes has three years left. Whatever. Uh, Buchnevich obviously give that guy whatever he wants, and I can't wait to see if. I wonder, I'm really curious to see what happens with him when his contract is up. Uh, okay. Saad, what was that? Five-year deal for Saad? That's – okay. Let's, you give the five-year deal to Saad, fine. But you give him a no-trade clause? I mean, come on. Who cares if Brandon Saad doesn't want to sign here because he won't give him a no-trade clause? That's insane to me. Uh, Falk, eight-year deal. Krug, seven-year deal. Scandella, what was that? Four-year deal, I believe. Four by three-point – Two seven five Pareko eight year deal Letty four year deal Bennington six year deal like what what did he think was going to happen here that all these guys were going to have four years every year he he's basically living a little bit here off of like what the Blackhawks did it's not to the complete extent of what Chicago did but there are very very big similarities and echoes of like what happened in Chicago. Chicago would have kept uh, and did keep their best defenseman and did whatever it took and then, you know, paid the price with Seabrook and Keith and how that ended Mm -hmm. with them. Mm -hmm. I think it probably would have been worth to just give Petrangelo what he wants and like, like, what is the, why is he so scared of the no move? I mean, I get that it's, it's, you know, there's no expansion drafts coming. You really think you have to put Petrangelo on waivers or something or release them or buy them out. Like the blues don't do buyouts. So that logic doesn't really make sense to me when you're giving nine guys or whatever, no trade clauses. It's total nonsense to me with the no trade clauses in particular. I mean, we've seen it now crew blowing up a deal. I again am thankful that he did, I think, but like, just ridiculous, and we talk about this on uh, on our our podcast all the time. Like when 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 Armstrong made the signing for Shen, which was the first of the kind of re-signings of of the Cup team era, he was very deliberate about making some comments. And I can you know this isn't an exact quote, but pretty close paraphrase saying like these guys rewarded us, took care of our team, got us to the promised land, and now it's time to reward them. And and you know, at the time, Ian, my co-host, and I were like, whoa, I'm not, you know, like, yeah, sure. But also, I don't know, like, reward how, like, you don't have to make commitments to all these guys. They made it to Shen, who I don't really have any issue with Shen, but I don't think that contract's going to get any prettier over the next five years. And then he didn't reward Alex Petrangelo, who you would think would be the number one guy to reward. And he mm-hmm. traded Ryan O'Reilly, and he let David Perron leave, and... Um, he let Vladimir, you know, a trade of Vladimir Tarasenko. And again, like I'm not all of those moves other than the prom one. I'm basically, you know, and well, very much not the Petrangelo one, but like the trades this year, 
obviously I understand circumstantially. I wouldn't have wanted him to extend those guys without getting something for them either. But it's just like, I really feel like since the cup, he's lost an edge a little bit in terms of having that bigger plan. And, you know, there's definitely some gems in there. I think all the deadline stuff this year was really good. Like he, he got really good value for all those guys. Um, I think obviously the Buchnevich trade is one of his best ever. Um, that's a very much a takes two to tango situation and the Rangers giving away a, a budding superstar for next to nothing, you know, but like, I think there have been great stuff, but the Letty um, and, and all the contracts and submissions, I don't know. I'm curious. I don't, I don't get to ask questions here, Ethan, but I'm going to ask one anyway. If you had to like one to 10, your confidence meter in Doug Armstrong right now, Wow, where are you guys at? Because I'm really curious. I struggle with it. I feel like I'm about a four right now, which is probably the lowest I've yeah. been. I was I was gonna say four or five. Yeah, so somewhere in between there. Yeah, I probably go somewhere between a five and a six, and I think it went up just a little bit just because of what happened at the trade deadline. Mm-hmm. I think that's fair. so. It's a great deadline. Yes. Yeah. So I think too. I mean, he made tough decisions and stuck by him. Yes, very much so. And so I think this off season is going to either lower it or increase it. Yeah. You know, but it's, it's hovering. I'll even go like a 5.5. Yeah. Just because like, I, I, I don't know. We have to see the direction here of this because he wants to be competitive, but he also wants to be able to retool. Yeah. So like you can't, you can't do both. If you're trying to retool, you need to be able to accept the fact that you were pulling the car over to the side of the road, you're swapping out some parts, and then you're going to keep driving. Mm-hmm. You're not driving into the dealership completely, you know, selling it for scraps and then, you know, rebuilding the car right then and there. He wants to stay competitive. He expects to potentially make the playoffs next season. Yeah. I get that, but in this environment, you can't expect to always be able to do that. Yeah. So... I don't know. It's it's a little bit contradictory. So that's where I'm I'm some routine of five and a six. I like some of the moves. I don't like some of the contracts. I like some of the players, but I don't like it's it's for every one good, there's one to two pro or two cons. So mm-hmm. I don't know. We'll have to see how the next twelve to even eighteen to twenty four months kind of shakes out. Yeah. I think the next 18 to 24 hours are going to be pretty telling too. To yes. Be like, that's, yeah. It's kind of go time now. And I think personally, you know, I just, I think the only reason I wouldn't say more outspokenly that, you know, I think it's time for a change is I know how bad NHL GMs are by, you know, as a general rule. And I know how good Armstrong has been overall, but to me, I mean, this is going to be the start of what his 14th season at the helm. 13th or 14th, I think 14th, yeah. full season. And then he had two before whoever left that he was at, you know, more or less at the top of the organization. To me, like in any organization, you probably need a new, a, a change of vision, you know, after that much time. So, you know, I think he's probably on his last contract with the team anyway. So I think that probably takes care of itself or at least last contract in this role. Maybe he gets some like senior president or, you know, something kind of, that kind of role where he still at least gets a fresh face in the GM role, but uh, definitely lower confidence than I've had in him for a while now. Well, there's a lot of reasons for that. And I think they're justified mostly. Um, And I do think that 
that uh, the Perron thing really annoys me, but that's just because I'm looking at his hockey reference page, and it's like, okay, <laughs> this guy was so good here. Like, in that playoff run last year, he had 13 points in 12 games and nine and goals. And just kept coming back. He was like mm-hmm. a loyal puppy who just kept coming back. Yeah. And then Armstrong's like, hey, Nick Letty, sweet. We already got uh, Krug as a left-handed D-man. If you think anything of Scandella, he's there. Perunovic, I get you can't trust him, but like you already had a lot of lefties that you just throw in there. I don't really – it just reeked of desperation. It was such a bad move, so stupid. Mm-hmm. But uh, I was curious here. Let's get into a little bit of the goaltending. Uh, what date of the season do you think Joel Hofer takes over as the starter? <laughs> uh, wow. Are we thinking December – Wow. January. I mean, I just, I get that everybody loves Bennington because he helped them win a cup and stuff. But like, I, I like the guy, but I just don't. I don't see the fascination thinking that he's good. I, I really don't. And that's just like the, he's the making six million years. He's got to be held to yeah. the standard. The hoops people jumped through last year to be like, oh no, you don't. It's that same. Like he's just on a bad team. It's like, bro, he's got like negative nine thousand goals saved above average, yeah. and people yeah. will be like, that doesn't account for, you know, scoring chance, not quality. And I'm like, well, that's literally all it accounts for. That's why it exists, you know. Mm-hmm. But, um, I mean, that's that's again, like I said earlier, I think that's the achilles heel that we're just not even talking about because the defense is such an obvious problem and there's no real solution to the bennington issue but like i i it's got to be early if if hofer proves that he is not going to be a head case and like that's got to be one of the first changes i think and you don't want to throw him in the deep end obviously you're not going to say he's the starter and you know just kick bennington to the curve it'll be a classic jake allen kind of situation but like um yeah, I mean, I think it'll happen early because I don't think Bennington is a good NHL goalie right now. I mean, Grice had a better save percentage than Bennington last yeah, year. That's so. rough. The yeah. problem is watching Bennington sometimes, he makes just phenomenal saves. Yeah. He just, it's just not consistent. Like uh-huh. there's, I don't think there's anybody that's also doubting that you know he is at times an NHL-worthy goaltender. Because like I said, like he makes some incredible saves sometimes but it's just not consistent. So is the Thanksgiving game too soon to say? <laughs> it's also the antics with so. too. Oh, yeah. And I know yeah. people don't – I know I, I find it amazing that Blues fans will defend every single thing he does. It's just That's amazing insane. to me. And yeah, I like okay. the guy. Like I said, I didn't, I didn't want to go as far as to say, like, if he didn't win a cup, would he be in the NHL right now? Which I, I think he would be, but it's like, man mm-hmm. – Six-year deal for a goaltender is always a risk. And if you're doing it with anybody who's not named like Connor Hellebuck or prime Carey Price or whoever, like it's just – it's tough. Really anything in, – in my personal opinion, anything above a three-year deal is too much. No offense to goaltenders, but the goaltending position is one of the most volatile positions in all of sports, next yeah. to probably like an MLB pitcher or catcher. It just maybe, it's so maybe in the NFL. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But like I would much rather pay a goaltender a little bit more and just get him on a short term contract than say, I'm gonna give you six years, seven years here, whatever, and and pay you also a lot of money. I, I would yeah. not want to commit long term here to a goaltender. I would much rather do three, no more than four years here at a time. 
No more. I mean, he had three really good seasons in a row, or at least two really good seasons in a row. Like mm-hmm. the COVID suspended season, he was he was really good. And I think there's a lot of cases where you don't make the COVID excuse for the Blues, but a lot of players for the Blues have fallen off since then. Like yeah. Pareko mm-hmm. before them was good. I think the Bowmeister thing with Pareko really had an impact. Scandella after the deadline looked pretty good. Then they extend him while the season is suspended. That was a stupid move. Yeah. Uh, Bennington looked really good. But I think the bubble might have broken this franchise. I think there's an argument to make. Like they got, I, they, they actually outplayed the Canucks in that series. So, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. They lost the series, yeah. though. Things didn't bounce their way. But like the Bennington thing is fascinating because he did have three really good years. I and, think and the last two have just been horrific. Yeah. I mean, I think to Mike's point, like if you had that goalie who, was drafted high or, you know, even if they weren't drafted super high, but like from the moment they're a prospect, they're like, Oh, yeah. this guy's going to be really good. And then he gets to the NHL. And you he's mean really like good. Carter Hart? Yeah. Well, no, like no, it stays good. <laughs> like if you, if you're talking about a Sorokin or a Vasilevsky or Vasilevsky, basically if you're yeah. talking about a Russian goaltender, yeah. then, <laughs> then I think you can justify. I mean, Sturkin. yeah. Yeah. Uh, Ottinger is probably the non-Russian case, but like, that's where you can at least kind of justify the longer deal, but any goalie that, and you know, I think Bennington's story is the perfect example. Cause how many times do you hear about that story? Tim yeah. Thomas was one of those stories. Like mm-hmm. you find a guy, he gets hot at the right time. Cam Ward's entire career, like, which, you know, <laughs> I think that was the question when Bennington did what he did was like, is he going to be another Cam Ward? And I, I hate to say, I think we have our answer now, but like <laughs> you get the guy that's hot at the right time and it's great. And it can, when you, playoff series or cups and you know rare cases but um when you make a six-year commitment to a guy like that you kind of get you get what you paid for i think i I have said for a while here now that the blues are just also repeating the carolina hurricanes history they won the cup it was just (laughs) you, you, you struck lightning here in a bottle you signed some contracts that you shouldn't have and it just I, I think they're going to just repeat the Carolina Hurricanes history just in the Western Conference. Mm-hmm. When are they going to hire Rob Brendamore? Oh, I'm in. Rod Let's do it right now. <laughs> do you think Baruby – okay, here's the next question. Do you think Baruby, if they miss the playoffs, what do you think there? Start with Mike. If he misses the playoffs, I think it's, it dep- it's circumstantial depending on like how bad that they missed the playoffs and depending on like what happens like, with this team, because if, if Armstrong makes multiple moves and this team looks on paper noticeably better and you're just not seeing buy-in, it's still lazy. It's, you know, still a ton of backdoor passes for goals. You know, I think that he's got a lot more fire under him then at that point. But if this team is looking like that, they are competing, that they are losing games by one goal, they're losing in overtime or a shootout or something, I think Barubi is a lot safer than what fans may want to admit. Steven? Um, I mean, I, I agree that he's safer than fans may want to admit. If they miss the playoffs, though, you know, if they, again, like you said, if they if, if they clearly make moves where it's like we're trying to compete this year for at least a playoff spot and he misses – I think he's probably gone because again, it's the easiest decision to make. It's the easiest thing yeah. to say, you know, coaching change, new, new face affects the whole organization and it does, you know, but um, 
I think he's probably safe through the season. I think it's very unlikely mm-hmm. that he gets a midseason firing, but mm-hmm. if we don't make it at the end of the season, especially if we miss like we missed this year where it's a big, big gap, then I think he's probably in trouble. Well, the, the good thing for them this year is that I think the central division pretty unpredictable outside of like, you know, Dallas and, and Colorado will be good. Um, who knows what's going to happen in Winnipeg, Chicago and Arizona are still going to be bad. Nashville is probably not going to be good. Minnesota, you never know. Uh, but I think the case – and also get ready for the Quinville talk if Bruvy gets fired. I'm just saying that's going to happen. Uh, not them hiring him, but the talk will certainly be there. And The only uh, comfort is that he's probably already employed somewhere else. But Yeah, that is, a, that is a good point. And the scary case with firing – comfort. <laughs> the scary case with firing Bruby is like you don't really want to end up like the Rangers who – Quinn was was not good three years. Gallant was I horrible go, in the playoffs this year. I could go for 15 minutes on hiring Peter Laviolette. <laughs> yeah, then they hire Le- – like their run-on coaches, Tortorella, Vigneault, Quinn, Gallant, just so many recycled coaches in there, and it just doesn't work. Like how, if you're the Rangers, I know you're trying to win now, but like you have to – you at some point you got to hire. Like I know that David Quinn was like kind of that. But like, come on, you gotta you gotta do what Washington did. But whatever. Um, let's see. Do you think we'll start with Steven here? Do you think the Blues will be active at all in free agency? Like maybe, I guess veteran minimum type guys you can get under under a million, like Pitlick and Levo. Like I really don't think there's much for them to do in free agency outside of that. Yeah, I mean, I I we mentioned the Mikola thing earlier. Like I wouldn't be shocked to see him come back on a one-year deal to be a body, you know, because I think the organization likes him well enough. And, hey, you know, we throw him into a trade package. We got something for him. Um, I can see that. Like, if there are guys that stick to the end um, and have that, you know, kind of the Klingberg thing last year, like he doesn't find that long-term deal he's looking for, so he's willing to sign a one-year thing with a team that maybe competes but maybe falls apart. Like, I think that's kind of perfect for the Blues because if they fall apart, great, trade him, get something for him, you know. Rich Wash for beat. No harm, no foul. I can't see them making any long-term commitments. The only one I would still entertain the O'Reilly thing. Um, I still think there's some potential traction there. I think they definitely, I, I definitely think that was like planned to some extent plans change, but like, we'll see Shen on the wing to me makes a lot more sense in the top six. Yeah. If O'Reilly is there than then Shen and Hayes being our two and three center. So that's the only one, like, I could definitely still see room for that, but I think you'd have to shed some salary to make that make sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, <laughs> unless Doug is willing to be able to make, I mean, a massive deal that would create a hole, I don't see logically how it makes any sense. The Blues want to be competitive, but at the same time, I think that Doug's got his team, and I think he wants to put it back on the players who are currently here and say, go and i think he wants and i think he needs to be able to see who is ready to be able to take the next step and who is not willing to be able to take this next step um i think that they have enough guys internally that they can be able to elevate because at this time i mean again you have a multitude of defensemen who can be able to make their way up you have a multitude of um players who are going to be headed towards the ahl rather than a spot here in the bottom six or even on the third line um, here in the NHL. 
I, I, I don't see how you try to go with a veteran versus some young kid who is wouldn't be able to come out here right away, zero to 60, you know, fueled up here on Red Bull and on pipe dreams here of be able to make a spot here in the NHL versus a veteran who's just coming in, be able to serve like his, his next contract. I, I would much rather give a, a kid who is in your in your pipeline, ready to be able to make the next leap, be able to earn a consistent spot. I'd rather give him a chance than bringing in a veteran just to say I'm bringing in a veteran. Yeah. Um, I'll also say this, like, I, I wonder about the idea of bringing in a defenseman on a one-year deal. If they're able to clear out some other guys, mm-hmm. I know they have a lot of defensemen in there right now, but like somebody similar, but maybe not exactly like Luke Shin could be just thrown on the third pair one-year deal. I know Shin's probably going to get more interest from a real contender if we want to if we want to say that um like Florida or someone that's actually contending but uh yeah I wonder if that could happen and I did tweet that the O'Reilly thing was dead but that was more so just like you know see if anybody has any thoughts on me saying that on Twitter and didn't really generate any interest but whatever <laughs> uh speaking of giving players a chance I want to talk a little bit about neighbors and Bull Duke and we've seen neighbors at the NHL level uh, he's been fine, I guess. I mean, I don't really know what the expect. I mean, kind of tough to play on last year's team as a as a twenty year old, mm-hmm. uh, especially if you're not going to be given like neighbors should have been playing more minutes all year. Like twelve twenty six average time on ice is is not enough if you're trying to really develop them. So, uh, just thoughts. We'll start with Steven here. Thoughts on neighbors and Bull Duke and where they're at right now. Uh, I mean, I think you got to give neighbors every chance to make the roster this year um, and get a little bit of better opportunity than he did last year. Bolduc, Bolduc, however it's pronounced, I'm never comfortable <laughs> either way. Um, I think he's probably more of an AHL guy this yeah. year. Um, we'll probably get a sniff at some point. Uh, we don't talk a lot about Alexandrov, um, but I think he actually came up and looked pretty he serviceable. Did. Um, for most of last year. So I, I kind of expect him to be, um, you know, be locking down that fourth center role um, and, you know, playing pretty regular minutes. So, um, you know, you add a haze, you add one veteran free agent, you run out of spots pretty quickly. Um, and like you said earlier, Ethan, I think I think you're kind of there now. Um, so I think Baldick, you know, he'll get – a shot, I think, when injuries happen and stuff like that. But I think he's mostly an AHL guy next year. Mike? Yeah, I I like Alexandrov here, to your point, Stephen. I think that mm-hmm. he's going to be pretty close to a lock field to start the season here um, in the NHL. Neighbors, I think something's wrong if he doesn't make the NHL squad here this year. Um some, like something has to be severely wrong because right now I've got him penciled in here on the third third line. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's going to do really well, and I think he could actually surpass Brandon Saad here on the second line um, if all goes according to plan. Bold Duke, I don't see him making an NHL push this season. I think it would be beneficial for his development um, if he plays one, even two seasons here in the AHL here first. I mean, he scored 50 goals, 110 points last season in 61 games. Um, he didn't score a ton, 
in in the playoffs. I mean, 11 goals, 19 points in 18 games. So he did score enough. But I think it would be very beneficial for him to elevate here up to the AHL, get used to the next level here, improve his defensive game. And that's where I think you could actually see Zach Dean before you see Bolt Duke. Because Dean, when he was with the um, Olympiques, he actually, um, their whole philosophy was um, more conservative and be able to play a little bit more um, of a steady game as opposed to just these standard QMJHL, like wheel and deal, run and gun type of, of play. And you still saw like how productive here that he was. Um, he he was like leading here. And I'm trying to pull up here his stats really fast. Um, but he was like on a record pace here in the playoffs. And that was him playing conservatively. Um, he had scored 33 goals, 70 points in 50 games during the regular season, and then 10 goals, 26 points in 13 games on a conservative team. So I think the benefit here for Dean would be the fact that he was able to start improving his 200-foot game while still scoring and being and being successful. So he's already playing that Barube style that he's looking for while – no offense to Balduke, but Balduke, that was one of the biggest knocks that Barube was giving him was that, yes, he's good offensively, but he's a kid. He needs to be able to improve his all-around game here first and foremost. So I think it would be Dean before um, before Balduke in that situation. So what does Barube think of Kevin Hayes' two-way game? Uh, Not good. <laughs> yeah. Got to be some yeah. concern there about how Hayes just didn't play any defense for the Flyers last year. Whatever. Uh, he's he's a big body. He could score 25 goals. Got to love that part. But I Personality. That's true. Locker room that's what I keep, Two days ago, if you'd asked me, I was like, that's the stupidest reason to argue for a trade. Now I'm like, it's got to be that personality. <laughs> <laughs> it's got to be. All yeah. right. Uh, last thing here. Uh, I just want to throw this in there because there's a lot of talk a couple of years ago on how they had, what, nine 20 goal scorers and, mm-hmm. and made the playoffs. Uh, last season they had three, and uh, Kyrou had 37. Buchnevich had 26. And by the way, yeah, let's trade our 37 goal scorer last year who just got killed by the fan base and by the coach occasionally and had 71, 73 Absolute points. Morons. Just a ridiculous thing to, to, to think about. Uh, and then Shin, 21 goals. So – and obviously you did have uh, Verona scored at a pretty good pace when he was here in Kapanen and was solid as well. Uh, mm-hmm. How many 20-goal scorers do you think they will have next season? Mike, starting with you on the spot. I'm going to say, let's see. I'm going down the, the roster here right now. Let's see. So one, two, three. It's got to be in between the last two years somewhere, I would think. I'm going to go – Five. I'm going to go five. So that's what? Kairou, Buchnevich, Shin. Have to think. Verana. Yeah. I think Verana hits it. Um, that's four. And then Hayes, five? Kapanen, five? No, I'm going with Kapanen. Blay, 20? No, I don't think that he hits 20. I think that, I mean, if you see him hit even 10 to 15, I think it's a decently successful season here for him. I mean, this is a guy uh, who didn't have – this guy didn't have any goals in yeah. 54 games with the Rangers and then has, what, nine 
in 31 with the blue. That is crazy. Right. Uh, good job, Gerard Gallant. Uh, Steven, <laughs> your thoughts on that number? Uh, um, assuming no trades, if we're just looking at the roster, which um, we have currently, I struggle to see more than four. Um, I think the top three will obviously all get it. Um, get 20 goals pretty easily and if they don't we're doomed um <laughs> but i mean if those guys aren't good we're doomed anyway that's pretty obvious so uh then i would say brana is probably the most likely um you could see either like i think sod and Hayes will be in the you know in the 15 to 20 range so either of them mm-hmm. could hit it you know it's puck walk past a certain point but um and shen arguably too but yeah, I definitely don't think we're going to see nine. I would say four locked in, you know, maybe as many as six just based on bounces and, and you know, luck and whatever else you want to say, hot streaks. But um, uh, that's assuming we don't, you know, go out and get a dynamic forward and, and change out the look a little bit. To break do. it? To Great. break it? <laughs> hey, who knows, you know? If Krug sure. wants to be able to go to Ottawa. That's right. There we go. They don't have, they sure don't have a spot does. for him. They don't have a spot how, how, how dumb is Dorian really would be the question that that would become like, is he willing to like, do, do they still want Colton Pareko? I mean, Hey, he, did you guys, did they, did they watch Colton Pareko in the Stanley cup final four years ago? He's a stud. He's always been a stud uh, and still is. And he's one of the best defensemen in the league. I, I bet you can convince an NHL GM of that, uh, but who knows? It'll be interesting. Um, and hopefully, we can reconvene again sometime later in the summer and kind of talk about how the, the offseason and the draft went down, talk about free agency, maybe get our other colleague uh, Marcus on the show for that one as well. So uh, we'll see. But I thank you guys for joining me. Uh, yeah. You can check out both Stephen and Mike's work, whether it's on uh, Twitter. I'll let you guys plug it here in a second. And then uh, the hockeywriters.com stuff. Start with Stephen. You go ahead and plug your stuff here. Well, as you mentioned, thehockeywriters.com, you can find me writing over there. I'm going to hopefully do a piece here when I find some time about the candidates for um, the uh, color commentary position on the broadcast, and then also maybe look a little bit at that Jordan Bennington uh, Schrodinger's goaltender that we have uh, back there in the crease. And then our on my podcast is the Two Guys One Cup podcast at Two Guys One Cup on Twitter, all spelled out in letters. Don't Google that. Just go on Twitter. <laughs> Be safe. Mike? Yeah, you can be able to find me over on the Twitter uh, at M underscore Meyer 3. That's uh, where I'm most active here at. I've started to get on the uh, the Insta train here as well. You can be able to find me on here the same tag. Um, so, yeah, those are probably the two best spots. And uh, I'm working to be able to make myself a little bit more familiar here each and every single day with all these prospects. A lot of people keep track here of, but that's uh, one thing I'm going to be able to try my best to keep fans here up to date with what's going on here with all these prospects. All right. Thank you guys for joining me. Of course. Yeah.